Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. This book is not good for you. This book is not good for you. Secret series by Pseudonymous Bosch. And book three. And it is chapter 34. Chocolate Snowballs. Page? 335. You're getting good at remembering. Chapter 34. Chocolate Snowballs. I already said. I know, but I, 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 I still do it too. No, I mean, this just fell apart. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Don't hit me anymore. Uh, she only hits me because she loves me. Okay. I don't ever hit <laughs> I know. It looked like the entire cacao plantation had been deserted. The monkeys had abandoned the trees. The slave children were nowhere to be seen. Even the golden pails were gone. Cass and Simone ran into the warehouse, but it too was empty of life. The alarm echoed eerily. The pavilion, Cass had asked. Someone shook her head. Kids are not allowed there, unless... She didn't finish her sentence. It was hard to imagine all the orphans being fed to Hugo's chocolate. And mass, or worse, turned into mini chocolate busts. um, Chaos greeted them as they neared the once placid building. They watched from the edge of the rainforest as five white uniformed guards attempted to herd the gray-cloaked children, all still carrying their golden pails in five different directions. Shouldn't we take them back to the warehouse? No, that's where the police will look first. Our orders are to hide them in the pavilion. Couldn't they have at least left the buckets? Not a trace, said Dr. L., Finally, the guards managed to lead the children up the steps of the pavilion. Still, in their own slave tunics, Cass and Simone easily hidden in the crush. The quizzital circled above as they disappeared inside. The crowd of children filled the central room in a loud din in a complete contrast of the hush of Cass and her friends had experienced when they first entered the building. Cass surveyed her surroundings, weighing options. After a moment, her eyes aligned on one of the golden pails. She whispered something to Simone, who looked confused for a moment, then grinned in recognition. Pass it on. Simone nodded and whispered into the ear of the child closest to her. It was Alexander, the small boy whose skeleton sister had nearly pulled off. His eyes widened. Then he broke into a smile, a rusty smile that hadn't been lit up lit on his face for years Cass was relieved to see his reaction apparently being cast in chocolate hadn't done him any permanent hurt pass it on said Simone he gladly whispered in the ear of the kid next to him pass it on soon the whispers filled the ear pass it on pass it on pass it on the guards looked around suspiciously what's going on here okay line up against the wall all of you tallest to shortest no shortest to tallest no boys on the left girls on the right Fine, just get them to settle down. 
The guards debated amongst themselves. Alexander reached to his pail and dug out a fistful of monkey dung. With a look of intense concentration, he drew his hand back over his shoulder and flung it splat onto the forehead of an unsuspecting guard. Before the other guard knew what was happening, a second boy a second boy threw a dung ball at the second guard's chest. Splat it landed right on his chest. That's what it says chocolate snowballs really means like monkey crap. Mom Crap's not a bad word. Meanwhile, Cass climbed on the sundial center of the room and shouted, Okay, everybody ready? One, two, three. Now! All at once, the kids in the room reached into their pails and cheering started throwing fistfuls at the guards. It was like a hailstorm of chocolate-colored snowballs. The guards ducked, trying to defend themselves as their white tunics developed brown polka dots and their hair dripped with brown oozing excrement. That means poo. Ah, disgusting. Not my gloves. Stop. Let me out of here. Now, everybody, make a run for it, Cass shouted, cheering. The kids tossed their pails in the air like the college graduates tossing their hats. Then they threw their gray cloaks aside and poured out, poured out, the, fr- oh, poured out the front door. Simone, can you make sure that they're okay, asked Cass, stepping back onto the floor. Simone nodded excitedly and exited with the other kids. Moments later, Cass was tiptoeing along the pavilion's curving outer hallway. The hallway seemed even longer than it had the first time she walked down it, and she kept expecting to be stopped at every turn. She didn't hear a sound until she reached the test kitchen door. Voices were coming from the other side. She'd identified the speakers in her hand in her head as she listened what do you mean the chocolate isn't ready we need it now mrs mavius she's right hugo we're out of time our cover is blown we must burn the building down immediately dr l burn it what about the children you've just rounded up in there senior hugo what about them their evidence they must be destroyed mrs mavius then there was silence do whatever you have to do but do not but not my chocolate. I've spent years developing this chocolate, and I won't leave it now. Not now, Senior Hugo. You have ten minutes, then we burn. You, or with you or without you, Mrs. Mavius. The door swung open, and Cass flattened herself against the wall, partially hidden by a potted palm, and Dr. L and Miss Mavius strode past her without as much of a glance in her direction. Bracing herself, she walked into the test kitchen. Cassandra, I was hoping to see... Just who I was hoping to see. Give it to me, said Cass. She stood in the center of the room by the stove and held out her hand. The, in the test kitchen, she noticed was a stainless was all stainless steel and nearly identical to the kitchen of Senior Hugo Totten. He must have had the room built especially. The chef removed his dark glasses and stared at her with one good eye. She tried her best to hold his glaze. His gaze. Give you what? You know what the tuning fork. Oh, I thought you meant perhaps chocolate. I have made another piece for you. I think you will find it even stronger than the last. It will, so strong it will tell you the secret. The secret. You told me it wasn't, you told them it wasn't ready. I heard you. That's because I knew you'd try to kill me once they, ha- once they had the chocolate. Now take it. I know if, I know if it works. If it does, I will become a wealthy, wealthy beyond measure. I'm not hungry right now. Thanks. Take it. Cass hesitated and then took the chocolate from him. Eat. 
Maybe later. She reached around the, the dropped reached around and dropped the chocolate into her backpack. Perhaps Pietro will want to have it analyzed, she thought. Where's the tuning fork? I want it back now. Senior Hugo laughed. What makes you think you'll ever get I'll ever give it back to you? You act as though you're a great chief, an artist, but you don't really care about food or chocolate. You care about the secret. You're no better than Miss Mavius and Dr. L. You're a hypocrite and a liar. If I were you, I would think twice about crossing me. He gestured casually to the row of nice clinging to the long magnet behind him. Cass shuddered, remembering his classroom knife demonstration. Unconsciously, she backed up against the opposite wall, crushing her backpack. I thought you said only a real chef only needs one knife, she said bravely. That looks like a lot of knives. Touche, but I was only talking about a cooking knife. These are throwing knives. Without as much of a glance over her shoulder, he reached backward and pulled the first knife off of the rack. Whiz, boing. In a fraction of a second, it flew right through the air and landed on the wall next to Cass's ear. She could hear a high-pitched hum as it vibrated back and forth. Just like a tuning fork, no. A chef, the chef joked. Whiz, boing. Whiz, boing. A second knife flew through the air and landed right next to Cass's other ear. Oh, I'm sorry. I just realized I was cheating. I had my eye open. Let me try again. Blind. Whiz, boing, whiz, boing, whiz, boing. His eyes closed as the chef threw the knife after knife, each landing closer and closer to cast in the last until she was surrounded all by knives. Hugo opened his eyes and grinned. We should do a carnival act. You could be my assistant. He looked at the jeans and the sweatshirt wearing girl up and down. Of course, you'd have to wear something a little bit more feminine. Perhaps sequence? Cass gritted her teeth. Never. I, yo, I, Yo-Yoji leapt into the room, sword stick thrust forehead. On the head was a gleaming stock pot, his samurai helmet. His free hand was the lid of a pot, his samurai shield. <laughs> Max Ernest followed, holding his decoder aloft, as though it too were a samurai weapon. Engage the chef, the decoder translated. Yoyoji looked perplexed. You want me to marry the chef? Max Ernest shook his head. No, a fight. Fight the chef. Yoyoji nodded and re- nodded relieved, then bowed to Hugo, never taking his eye off of his opponent. Yoyoji raised his sword, stick in the air. Bado jutsu, my sword is drawn. Hugo shook his head, incredulous. What the heck are you doing? Yoyoji shrugged. Alongside, a long ladle was resting on the counter next to Yoyoji. He picked it up and crossed his sword with his neck, apparently thinking the ladle was another sword. Naituru, the two-sword method. As Max Ernest translated, Yoyoji waited expectantly for Hugo to pick up his sword. That's all right. I'll just use y- one, said Hugo, pulling the longest knife out of the wall behind Cass. Yoyoji growled in his honor, offended. Then I shall use none. Tossing his weapons aside, Yoyoji jumped in the air and karate kicked the surprising surprise Hugo in the stomach. Ah! He staggered backwards. On the counter, there was a large open can of what looked like melted chocolate. Cass grabbed the can and threw it at Hugo. The chocolate dripped down his face, covering his one good eye. 
Now, there, let's see how you really are good at, good at ble- being blind. How dare you exclaim the outraged chef stumbling around the room. He dropped his knife and held it to his eye with his hand. Max Ernest gasped in horror at the sight. Don't worry. It's hot. It's not hot, said Cass. Just chocolate syrup. Max Ernest nodded. You know, that's definitely what they use for blood in all black and white movies. Cass gestured at Yo-Yoji. Tell him... Tell him to hold Hugo, Hugo for us. Grunting his assent, Yo-Yoji grabbed the struggling chef from behind. He picked up the soup later and held it to Yo- Hugo's neck. Now, where's the tuning fork? Asked Cass. And why should I tell you? Hugo spat out. Because you have a sword pointed at your neck. She figured he wouldn't know it was a ladle. You wouldn't dare. Yo-Yoji made a hissing sound, and suddenly the mamba emerged out of his collar. It seemed that the snake had been hidden under his shirt all along. Hissing in response, the snake traveled from Yo-Yoji's shoulder to Senior Hugo's. The chef's chocolate-covered eye blinked in fear. Afraid to move a muscle, he stood stiff while the snake wrapped around his neck several times. Then lazily licked chocolate syrup off of his cheek. Now, now will you tell us where it is? asked Cass. It's right here, Hugo said through his teeth. Oh, there it is, said Max Ernest. At the end of the fork's handle was just visible, sticking out of his chef's apron. He pulled it out, cast side with relief. Great, now tell Yo-Yoji to put Hugo in one of the cages and then come back. She said nothing. Yo-Yoji handing, she said, handle, handing Yo-Yoji the key ring. Good idea, said Max Ernest, typing rapidly. And the snake? He wrote for good measure. Awaiting the return of her daughter, Mel paced up and down the front of the old animal cages as fretfully as if she were trapped inside. Suddenly, a bearded face appeared over the top of the stone wall that surrounded the zoo. The face followed by a navy blue uniform. Is that a policeman, Mel wondered? I don't think I've ever been so happy to see a cop. One after another, dozen of men and women in police uniforms climbed over the wall. Actually, they didn't climb. Some somersaulted, some catapulted, some even made a human ladder. Had Cass's mother been in a less agitated state of mind, she might have not noticed that they were all oddly acrobatics, not to mention odd-looking group of policemen. It's Owen and the, and the guys. Yeah. It's like all the, all the um, carnival people. But Pre- so the police. No, they just have police uniforms on. Preoccupied with her predicament, she... Sp- I know, but I said, but it's still not the police. Yeah, that's true. They need the police. Nope, they don't. From the cages and waved frantically to the bearded police officer leading the charge. It's Owen. Officer, over here, you must help me, sir. You mean, help me, ma'am, said the officer. Oh, it's the bearded lady. <laughs> she said calmly, oh, I'm so sorry, officer, ma'am. She said Cass's mother, blushing with embarrassment. You can, you can call me Myrtle. Now what seems to be the problem? Cass's mother tried to explain what was happening. Officer Myrtle, as you have probably guessed, was none other than the circus's bearded lady, was joined by the tall, skinny cop, a short, squat one, Mickey, Officer Mickey and Maury, respectively. Yep, they were none other than the clowns. We heard reports about some troublemaking kids breaking into the zoo after hours, said Mickey. Now, now cleaned up or partially cleaned up as they were still in some red and white smudges around their mouth did you know anything about that 
We think there may have been escaped. They may have escaped from juvie, said Maury. A bunch of low-down, no-good nicks. Cass's mother drew Novi? her... What's it, Novi? Yeah. A juvie. It's like kid jail. Cass's mother drew herself up. How dare you speak of my daughter and her friends that way? They're very good kids, all three of them. They came to rescue me, and you must help us all get out of here right now. Have you seen the two? <clears throat> Have I seen you two somewhere before? Remember, because she dropped her off at clown school, and they're the clowns. Why, you've been in trouble with the law, asked Maury. You didn't just break out of these cells by any chance. You sure look like a nice lady, said Mickey, but you know what they say about appearances. The clowns shook their heads solemnly, as if they'd seen too many nice-looking ladies out of the terrible that are terrible crooks. Those two, for instance, it certainly looks bad, but for all we know, there's some totally innocent explanation. Maury nodded into the distance where Yo-Yoji was visible, escort, vis, was visible escorting Hugo at ladle point the snake still curled around the neck of the terrified chef ooh everybody's getting in trouble